Speaking of our worship arts ministry, I feel like we're so blessed to have our worship arts. Can we celebrate Karen, Sarah on the violin, Jason, Josh, Brittany, and Beth? Just tremendous, uh, so moving and inspirational uh, for the heart and soul. I'd like to begin with something not so inspirational. Uh, one of my teenage daughter's complaints about God. That's how I'd like to, to begin uh, the message this morning. So uh, one, one morning, I won't tell you which one because I don't want you to, you know, tease them at all. But one, one morning, one of my daughters said, um, God is not doing a very good job. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, because um, his job is to make me happy and I have not had a very happy week this week. And so I said in response, I said, you know, I don't think that's God's main agenda for your life. Now I realize how annoying that comment could be to teenage years, right? Uh, but that's one of my enjoyments of raising teenagers is I get to annoy back, right? Isn't that? So, uh, so I just, you know, began, talked a little bit about this dynamic that God is actually not first and foremost after our happiness, but is after our holiness. I had no idea if that penetrated at all with my teenage daughter. Right? I'm trusting there were seeds planted there. But I want to suggest that perhaps when we've, we've aged out of the teenage years that we don't actually say that out loud anymore, right? That, that we're disappointed with God. But deep down, even as adults, even as pastors, right? Deep down, we think one of the primary ministries of God should be our personal happiness. Yep. Would you, yes, would you agree with me? Yeah, if you, right? That's like the source of some of our complaints, right? We're like, this is hard, God. This is unfair. This, this hurts. This is not how you should treat one of your children. Have you ever said that to God? Yes. Right, And I, I think I, I, that's part of who we are because I see it all the time in our parenting, right? We believe that one of our primary ministries as parents is to have our children evade discomfort or difficulty or pain. Yes? And so we pull them out of those circumstances just as fast as we, soon, as we possibly can. And then when God does not do that for us, we're like, you're not a very good father. And he says, you know, it doesn't work that way. I get to set healthy parenting, not you. We have been taught, we've been in a series called More, and we're talking about the seven primary ministries that the Holy Spirit wants to have in our lives. And I have some very bad news for you. Your personal holiness is not one of the primary ministries of God, all right? We've talked about um, his primary ministry of new life and identity. He wants to teach us truly who we are, who he has formed us to be, truly as, as daughters and sons of his adopted. 
We've also talked about, last week, we talked about intimacy, that that's an, a ministry of the Holy Spirit, that he wants to work intimacy primarily with him, but also with one another in our marriages, in our relationships, uh, in our parenting, all those things. This morning, we're talking about another absolutely foundational and crucial ministry of the Holy Spirit that he wants to have in our lives and it's a, a theological word is probably the best, is sanctification. That he wants to work in deep ways in our hearts and in our souls and in our minds. That, that he cares about what is going on in our hearts and souls. There's been different names for it, like um, soul work, or I, I like to think of it as God's kingdom within, that interior kingdom, that he's growing his kingdom, and he's starting in your heart, in your soul, and your mind. Sanctification is that theological word that is pointing us at the process of God forming and shaping who we are in the deepest parts. A process of making us holy. Justification, another theological word. That's a, that's a one-time thing. That's a, a thing about salvation when because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we are justified before him. Sanctification is really a process, not a one-time thing that will happen all the way through our lives until we are with Jesus. Unfortunately, we're all going to be working on sanctification, no matter what age that we are, all right? Whether we're 100, I don't know if Oral's here this morning, or whatever age that we are, he wants to work that process of sanctification. Two analogies that have always been helpful for me when you think about the ministry of sanctification. One is a pumpkin, all right, that many of you have had the experience, if you're not opposed to this, that you, you hollow out a pumpkin and you get all that gunk out. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, all that junk that's there. Yeah, so the Lord, there, there's gunk within our soul. Things like anger and unforgiveness and racism and prejudice. Did you know God cares about the gunk that's in our hearts. And he wants to, to pull that out. It's a ministry of the Holy Spirit. There's another analogy that's very helpful. is a, a fruit tree. You could call it, say, an apple tree. That he doesn't just want to remove the gunk, but he wants to plant and grow within us. Probably the famous passage is Galatians 5, when Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit, what he wants to grow in us is love and joy and peace, forbearance. You could think of uh, that as patient endurance or perseverance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. I also translate that as meekness, a humility that's there. 
and self-control or, or temperance. Against such things there is no law. Paul is talking about the law of the Spirit, what the Spirit wants to work within us. And the key question that we've been asking through the series is, if this is one of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit in our lives, how do we cooperate with Him? He doesn't call us simply to be passive, right? He calls us to join Him in His work in our lives, in our relationships, and in the world. So how do we do that? That's what we're looking at and asking this morning. And we're going to turn way back to right in the middle of the Old Testament to a a famous story of the book of Jonah. And it's a very short book. You might want to look at your table of contents. If you brought your Bibles, great. There are some Bibles located in the seats in front of you. And as you look for the book of Jonah, we are going to, I'm going to tell you a little bit of context. Jonah was a prophet and there was this uh, city of Nineveh. And they were enemies of the Israelites, and they were pretty mean and nasty towards the Israelites. And God, their unrighteousness had come before God, and he was going to bring judgment to the Ninevites, but he wanted to give them an opportunity to repent. So he calls Jonah, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah. That's how the book starts. And he says, go to Nineveh and uh, proclaim the judgment that's coming. If you don't repent, repent. And Jonah said, got it, God. And he turned and he ran the other way. Tarshish. All right. And then, right, Sunday school, some of you know, the, the big fish swallows him. And he says, mercy. And God says, okay. And the whale vomits him on the shore. Right? He goes to Nineveh and he says, repent. And then if you look at the last verses of chapter 3, it says this, when God saw that they, the Ninevites, what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented, God relented, and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Hallelujah. They are spared. Now, that sounds like the end of the book, doesn't it? Right? If this book was only about the Ninevites, we could have ended right there at the end of chapter 3. But there's a fourth chapter. And it really doesn't have to do with Nineveh as much as Jonah. That God has some work left to do in the life of Jonah. And so chapter four begins, God relents. Chapter four, verse one, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? They must have had an argument when he said, go to Nineveh. That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my sin, for it is better for me to die than to live. A little melodramatic, perhaps. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Apparently, Jesus' love for questions comes from his father. Do you think that this question from God would have been a little bit annoying to Jonah? 
Yes? At a Jim Carrey moment, I feel like God would be like, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah would be like, yes! <laughs> a little annoying? God's going to get a little bit more annoying to Jonah. Jonah had gone out and sat down at the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. After all, God might come to his senses and wipe them out, right? Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant. Well, that's nice. And made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, perhaps not so nice, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, perhaps not so nice. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right? for you to be angry about the plant. Yes. Okay, he doesn't exactly say that, but listen, it is. It is. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals as well? I think there's some important lessons to be learned from this story of Jonah. Now, Jonah has some issues going on, right? <laughs> He's got lots of issues. I just picked out a couple. I, I think Jonah has some unrighteous anger. You can, you can have a righteous anger. I don't think Jonah's anger is righteous at this point. He's angry because God is such a loving God. He forgives all the time. Is that a righteous anger? I don't think so. I would also see this willfulness, this rebelliousness in Jonah, right? He wanted his way, not God's way. In one sense, he's saying, I think I know better than you, God. Yeah. <laughs> and he's fighting for his will and not God's. And then I would just throw in, I think there's a little bit of malice and hatred towards the Ninevite people, right? He wants them dead. He risks his own life so perhaps they can be judged. So even though in the end of the day, Jonah does what God wants him to do, that's not enough for God. God is also concerned about your heart and my heart and Jonah's heart. So a few lessons on sanctification and character work. I think one that sticks out to you is really rooted in that question, right? Those two questions. He's saying, is it right, Jonah? He's, he's asking Jonah to do a heart check. 
He's saying, Jonah, would you look within that anger? Can we, can we talk about that anger together? I think there's a significant mistake that we make regarding sin and righteousness that sometimes we can just assume that it's all about action. It's about what we do and, if, uh, and really devalue our heart in the midst of the action. I think that's why the Sermon on the Mount that, that Jesus spoke on is so challenging because the, the most pious Jews, the religious leaders of, of Jesus' time, they were following God's law to the T. Like they, they were dialed in. And yet Jesus says again and again, don't you get it? It's about the heart. Yes, you're pretty proud of yourself that you've not committed adultery in your marriage. You've been faithful. How about the lust that's in your heart? Well done, you've not murdered anyone, right? Good job. How about that malice and that anger that flows within? That was Jesus again and again in the Sermon on the Mount. He's taking, he says, don't just focus on the outward action. Did did Jonah ultimately go to Nineveh and, and, and proclaim what God asked him to? Yeah. Was that good enough for God? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. It's, it's a matter of the heart. He draws us. Jesus explained it like this. Mark 7. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, uh, come, evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile the person. He's saying don't get lost just if you uh, dot your I's and cross your T's. That's not good enough. God's after this internal character transformation. I was at a leadership conference a number of years ago, and the pastor, he, ha- he was a pastor at uh, one of the largest churches in the United States, and he had a ministry to high schoolers and young adults. By every account, his Uh, ministry was rocking and rolling. They were doing awesome things. They were really large worship time and uh, they were uh, serving the community. They're leading people to Christ. And he said at one point when when the worship is going and and all these kids are worshiping, he said, I realized I better get out soon. He said because he was about to internally collapse from the pressure, the, the insecurity, the, the pressure, all of that. Outwardly, he was rocking and rolling. Marriage was doing good. Family was doing good. But the internal, he knew it was not right, and he got out. And he began to discover this internal work, this character work, and he used an analogy that I have a, a picture for you that I still remember Um, of a ship and he talked about that the ship that rests on the water everything above the water is what people see they see uh, they can see our marriage they can see our work 
our career, right? Our, our friendships. They can see all of those things that's above water. Our, our Facebook, right? We put all the good stuff on Facebook, right? What they don't see is the below, the issues of the soul. They don't see the heart. They don't see the relationship with God. They don't see all of that. And here's the deal. If the above water gets so big and there's not enough below water, what happens? We tip over, right? And this leader knew he was about to tip. I usually don't use names, but Pastor Ted Haggard uh, was part of our community of faith, a a great fall that he's uh, experienced. I've just done some reading uh, on him. He'd been very uh, uh, sharing about uh, what led to this fall and and recovery process and all that. And and what I glean from that, and and I try and keep that warning to myself, is that he had this incredibly massive ship but there was not nearly enough underneath and he capsized God is saying with any leader this isn't, it's not just about what's on the water and what people see in fact first and foremost it's about the internal it's about the soul in fact I'd argue that that's the priority, that's what we should be focused on most and that the above water should flow from the within. So friends, I I think some of you, all of us really, we can do what I call from time to time a heart check. Is there a particular aspect? Is there something, if you go back to the pumpkin Is there junk that's there? If you look back in your outline, Jesus' listing of those things, is there something that's there that that we've, we've been passive? Maybe it's been there for years and years and years and you just live with that junk in your soul. Do you know that God is saying, hey, I wanna talk about this with you. I want to work this. I want to give you the power and the resources so you don't have to live with that junk within. Would you cooperate with me and pull that out? Second lesson from Jonah that I think is profound. And I think that it has to do with God's will. That sanctification is a matter of God's will. Look at verse 1. To Jonah, it seemed very wrong. What seemed very wrong to to Jonah? (laughs) Forgiveness! Right? It seemed very wrong to Jonah. He's upset. He believes that he understands justice better, mercy better. He wants to dictate to God what should be done. Can you relate to that at all with your own life? Yes? Yes. Thank you. I'm not the only sinner here. Yes, we like to dictate and say, God, this does not make sense. 
In fact, I think it would work better like this. You see, there, there's an aspect, there's, there's absolutely no submission and obedience on Jonah's part to God's will. His will was clearly revealed to Jonah. And Jonah runs the other way. I, I think a significant part of spiritual maturity and transformation and the ministry of sanctification is allowing and desiring God's will, not ours. That that is a open conversation, that that is a regular prayer. We pray many things when we say, um, your kingdom come and your will be done. Right, But one of those, if we're praying that daily, which I believe that we should, if we're praying that daily, we're praying on a regular basis. All right, God, I want to please you. All right, God, I want to choose your will, not mine. I believe that God gives us the ability and the freedom to wrestle with his will and to wrestle and express our own will. I believe he allows us, he wants that dialogue. We see that dialogue happening. And sometimes he actually helps us and hears our will and our desires. And through that process, we find that right way to go. But the key issue is obedience. You see, Jesus wrestled with the Father's will, right? Just like Jonah did. What was the difference? Jesus obeyed. Jonah did not. The issue is the will of God. The apostle Peter, he was talking about Christians who suffer. And he said this about the will of God. 1 Peter 4, 2 and 3. As, I, as a result, those who suffer, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, rather for the will of God. They don't live daily, what can I get this? How can I satisfy this? How can I be happy in this moment? What can I? No, there's a redirect of saying, God, what is your will today? For you, Christians, have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. The pagan way of living or the non-Christian way of living is what's in it for me. The Christian way of living is saying, God, what's your will in this circumstance? How can I live and obey in this circumstance? I have a friend who will call her Alice. Make up a name. All right. She serves and leads in a significant way in her, her church, her community of faith. We've been friends for a number of years. And she is ready to do more. She's ready to press and to serve into more. She, she's got gifts, leadership gifts, and so forth, which of course is great. That desire is great. However, there's been some things that have come up, some struggles and difficulties that she's wrestling through in her own life. Now, some of those things has to do with those leading her. And we've talked about 
some of those things. But some of the struggles are really struggles of the soul, of the heart. And, and um, it's not just in her ministry, but there's some family things, some personal things. And, and I did actually talk to her about the sailboat analogy. And I said, you know, it might be time, as we've talked about before, that you work on that interior kingdom, that soul work, that you actually do less and be more. My friend didn't like that counsel very much. Right? A little pushback, which is okay. Pushback is part of it. As we journeyed together, she made a decision. I wouldn't say against her will. Maybe a bending of her will. She said, all right, pull back. I'm going to do less, be a human doing less, and be a human being. She's entered things like counseling to unpack some of the difficult stuff, rhythms of life and faith. Quite honestly, I'm proud of her. I mean, who wants to go into counseling and unpack your junk with someone? Right? That doesn't sound fun. God does. That good work. There's this aspect. Let me ask you this question. Are you willing to pursue character issues, internal work, even when it's hard, even when it feels the exact opposite direction of your personal happiness or, or what you personally want? Are you willing to say, okay, God, I, I'm slowly understanding. This is a ministry that you want to do and work in my own heart and soul, and I realize it's going to get tough but okay, I'm going to cooperate. I'm going to do some difficult work, whether prayer, whether counseling, whether difficult conversations with uh, family members. I'll even get really uncomfortable with others. I'll even maybe suffer a little bit because I want to be whole. The third lesson I have for you this morning is not necessarily directly from the story of Jonah. I, I would say it's a little bit more of a, a New Testament reflection upon the story of Jonah, but I think it's super important. And it's this, that sanctification is a process not simply of self-improvement. Our culture would invite you to go into a bookstore and you see all these self-improvement, right? That's not Christian sanctification. That's not Christian character work. What Christian sanctification is, is that we're seeking to look more like God, more like Jesus and his spirit. When Jonah recounts who God is, right, he, he must have said it with clenched teeth, 
right? Because he's upset. I know that you are a gracious and compassionate God. Do you know that that has echoes of God's self-revelation like Exodus 34 when he passes before Moses and reveals who he is. He he says, I I am the Lord and I I am gracious and compassionate, full of forgiveness to generation after generation. Loving kindness is the essence of who God is. You see, it wasn't that Jonah didn't know who God is. He knew exactly who God was, right? He just didn't like it. Well, he liked it for himself. When he was in the belly of the whale, absolutely. Yeah, God, have mercy, right? Yes, thank you. And then the Ninevites, God, no, right? So now, stay with me here. Jesus was the exact representation of the Father. Jesus was gracious and compassionate. Got that? When we saw Jesus, when when the disciples saw Jesus, when we experienced Jesus, we experienced the essence of who God is. Here's one more, just stay with me. And we've been made in the exact image of God. And so Jonah was not just rejecting who God is, but Jonah was rejecting who he was called to be as a follower of God. Do you get that? The, the, the description, the essence of who God is, that he's abounding in love, that he's gracious and a compassionate God, that's who God is, that's who you and I are called to be. That's the essence of the sanctification process. That's the fruit of the spirit. That's who he's wanting to teach you to be. In our culture, we, a lot of people say the best version of yourself, which is not horrible. But really, from a Christian perspective, the best version of yourself is the Jesus version of yourself. The, the love, the kindness, the forbearance, the goodness, all of that he wants to plant in your soul and to grow in those things. That's what Jonah was pushing against. You see, this is why Paul says earlier in Galatians, Galatians 4.19, he says, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until, I think we have that, uh, Galatians 4.19, Natalie, could you go that? My dear children, for whom I am again in pains of childbirth until you're the best version of yourself. What's it say? Till Christ is formed in you. You see that? That's God's will. Saint Athanasius said this. He was talking about Jesus. He said, he became what we are that he might make us what he is. Love that. I'm gonna read that again in case you missed it. 
He, Jesus, became what we are that he might make us what he is. That's the journey of sanctification. Some of you might know a a black Christian leader by the name of John Perkins. He's an exceptional author. Uh, He's written movingly about the need for racial reconciliation even after painful encounters with, with brutal racists. His latest book, Dream With Me, Race, Love, and a Struggle We Must Win, he writes this. He says, in Mississippi, I grew up around poor whites who felt they were better than blacks. The poor whites sought to become sheriffs, cops, or guards in order to have some power over society. So we did not have a great relationship with them. To be honest, I had never given a second thought to poor whites. I regarded them negatively as rednecks, trailer park trash. He's saying that's how he grew up. And then as he was walking with the Lord, he continues on, he tells a story of seeing those same poor whites that he had experienced racism from collect food at churches, from food pantries. He says, I've observed people. He said, the poor whites, their body language showed so much shame. One would almost think they were stealing the food from the church pantry. I noted also that these white folks really didn't have a voice or anyone in power to stand up for them. That they were two victims exploited politically by those in power. Listen to his transformation. He said, I've gone from almost hating them to genuinely loving them as brothers and sisters. I'm truly sorry that I've neglected the needs of these neighbors. These neighbors of mine and have not responded often enough. Do you hear the the beautiful character work in John Perkins that's happening there? God doesn't say, you know, John, yeah, they they were brutal racists to you. You get a pass. God doesn't say that. God says, I I want to help you. Wrong, absolutely racism, wrong in every power and authority, misuse and abuse, wrong, absolutely not right. And yet God wants to pull that, whatever that racism, that unforgiveness, that disregard out of John Perkins. In fact, John Perkins is doing that. Cooperating with the Lord, even to the point where he's saying, I'm sorry. I've neglected these neighbors of mine. I've not loved them well. Friends, another way to say it is you do a heart check. You do a check of the will and your purpose and direction You can also do a fruit check. A fruit check. 
And if you look back in that Galatians 5 passage, you can ask this question, what is that, the fruit that is from God, that God's wanting to work and plant in me, that I'm either missing or it's not fully formed or it's just beginning. If we read that together, again, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What is that? Which fruit is the Spirit trying to grow within you? I thought I was going to share about joy for my own heart, and yet I was struck in prayer for parents, that, that patient endurance. He's wanting to, to grow that in me. The Apostle Paul goes on to say in that very same verse, Galatians 5, you know, um, those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh, all the junk that doesn't belong there, with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's the cooperation. That's the keeping in step with the Spirit. Can we pray together? So we're going to take communion together. You know, there's, if, if you're new to SEC, there's a, a station for each section and at the appropriate time, you can leave your section to your right, take the elements and return to your section to your left. And uh, let's hold on to the elements. Sometimes we like to take them all together. It's a sign of unity and togetherness. By way of preparing your heart, what's the Holy Spirit been saying to you these last 35 minutes. Was there a, a heart check moment for you that, that you realize perhaps there's, there's something within you that is not of God and you, you've really been passive about it? Maybe it's from this morning. Maybe it's from this past week. Maybe it's been there for years. What does he want wanting to go after? Maybe a, a prejudice. Maybe a judgmental attitude. Maybe you've not been loving to a brother or sister in Christ. Maybe there's 
unforgiveness and you and you've thought well a person doesn't deserve to be forgiven and you thought that maybe God gave you a pass on that do you know we get to bring that to him and ask the Lord would you remove that take that out Holy Spirit only by your Or maybe there's a, a fruit check that you connected with. Maybe the gentleness you realized you're you're not very gentle with your words sometimes, especially with the people that are closest to you. Maybe there's a, a harshness at times to your attitude, to your tone at work. Maybe you're just getting the job done and you thought perhaps you get a pass on that. We gotta say, no, I wanna grow that. Just take a few few seconds to listen to the Spirit. What's he saying? And how can you give that over to him to lay it at the foot of the cross? to invite the elders forward the stations it was the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took the bread and after he blessed it he broke it and he said this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me. Remember, he was made flesh. He came and lived our lives so that we might live his. In a similar way, he took the cup and after giving thanks, blessed it. And he talked of a new covenant, a new relationship, a new intimacy, a new sanctification, really. He said, do this. This is a new covenant, which is in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've committed your life to him, All is ready. Would you come?